0: Greetings to our current listeners and welcome to The Global Current. My name is Jacqueline Ballard and I'll be your host for today's Deep Dive. This episode features Sean Mayberry, founder and CEO of Strong Minds. This social enterprise focuses on improving the mental health of women in Africa. Sean, it's such a pleasure to be here with you today. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much. Great to be with you, Jackie.
0: Okay, Sean, I wanted to start off getting to know you and the organization a little bit more. Can you tell me what inspired you to start Strong Minds?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, Strong Minds focuses on solving depression in Africa, particularly among uh, impoverished women. We started Strong Minds in 2013, and for me, it was really the result of a long journey. I have lived and worked in Africa for about 12 years, first in diplomacy uh, and then in public health. in my public health days in Africa, I was focused more on HIV and malaria prevention. Um, but during my time in Africa, I had so many friends and neighbors and colleagues who suffered from mental illness, and there was nothing I could do to help them. There are just so few psychiatrists, psychologists, so few uh, medical personnel in Africa trained in mental health. So it was incredibly frustrating uh, that as a public health uh, individual in Africa, I couldn't help uh, people's mental uh, health to improve. Then, uh, you know, personally, um, I've never suffered from depression. I'm, I'm quite fortunate, but I've certainly had a front row seat to depression my entire life. I, I'll be honest, I grew up in a, in a, in a poor family. My, both my parents were severely depressed uh, as a child. Uh, and now as an adult with a beautiful wife and, and four children, I still have depression in my own home. So I understand what depression does to uh, the sufferer, what it does to the entire family and just how debilitating uh, that mental illness is. So for me, I was just so fortunate in 2013, really just uh, by chance stumbled across a New York Times article talking about the, uh, a randomized control study, uh, you know, a careful experiment. Um, that tested uh, a form of psychotherapy in Uganda in 2002. It was the first time any form of psychotherapy had been tested in Africa and shown effective in treating depression. Um, At the time, I was a CEO of a nonprofit in New York City. Uh, The researchers were actually up at Columbia University. So literally one day I ran up there just to kind of understand more about this experiment. Was it true? Because in my mind, it seemed like a great opportunity to use that psychotherapy. It was a group-based psychotherapy Therapy. So, for me, it was scalable. You could reach more people because of the group nature. Um, and really wanted to understand was it as good as the study showed? It showed that well over 90% of the participants became depression free. And what would it take to really scale it up? Uh, you know, long story short, perhaps, uh, I, I quit my high paying CEO job. And created Strong Minds, uh, working out of my attic in, in lovely New Jersey for the first couple of years until we got the funding going and really started to make an impact. But uh, that's how Strong Minds began. And, you know, fast forward now uh, into 21. Anytime soon, we're about to, to break the 100,000 uh, patient thres- threshold. That means we have treated well over 100,000 depression sufferers uh, in Uganda and Zambia. So it's super exciting.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I mean, you mentioned that you guys started in 2013. So to have that big of an impact, 100,000 women in just eight years, that's incredible.
1: Yeah, no, thanks. It's a great number. Uh, I wish it was much higher. Uh, You know, the pandemic has slowed us down. Funding has slowed us down. You know, there's very little funding for mental health in Africa. It's not a topic most of us are talking about on the train or, or with our neighbors. Um, But it's a great start and we're really focused now on continuing to scale, finding uh, other partners who will take our model on as well, and how can we begin to reach many hundreds of thousands and millions of depression sufferers in Africa. It's so important, Jackie, because there's truly uh, an epidemic of uh, depression in Africa, again, that no one knows about. Um, There's at least 66 million women in Africa who suffer from depression. And according to the World Health Organization, 85% of those women have no access to mental care. I would tell you uh, it's much greater than 85%. It's more like 99.9%. And we're really the only organization focused on depression in Africa. If somehow, uh, you know, God forbid, we did not exist tomorrow, there's no one to step into our shoes or to pick up the baton and continue to scale uh, a simple treatment for depression. You know, in Africa, there's so many nonprofits doing great work, but there's a lot of duplication, HIV, malaria, clean water. If one were to disappear, well, another one can kind of fill their footsteps. Um, For us, uh, we're the only organization in Africa looking to scale a solution to depression. So it's a great responsibility and it's a lot of fun too.
0: Yeah. And from what you've told me so far, just as statistics that those statistics that you've shared, it seems that this is definitely a need and one that's going unsolved so far. But I I have a follow-up question with that. Why decide to focus primarily on women's mental health as opposed to maybe children's or men's mental health? Because it seems like there would be a need there as well.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. There's a need everywhere. Uh, You know, for us, we're focused on women for a couple of reasons. One, Depression affects women at twice the rate of men, and that's just an epidemiological fact that happens globally and not just Africa. Um, So if you have a room of 100 depression sufferers of the general population, about 60, 70 70 of them are going to be women. So for us, it's uh, kind of a bang for buck. You know, we we can make a, a bigger impact by focusing on women for that reason. Another is, you know, the the reality in Africa is so often women are the the backbone of the family. You know, the average woman we're treating is about 35, has four kids, lives on a couple of dollars a day. Um, You know, when they suffer from depression, the entire family suffers. A depressed mom is less able to take care of her kids, to take care of herself and the entire household. So for Strong Minds, we really work under the mantra that when an African mom is no longer depressed, the entire family thrives. And the other point is, you know, as I said, mental health funding uh, in Africa is so limited. If we had all the money in the world, we'd treat depression among everyone in Africa, every age, every sex, every demographic. That's not the case. So for us, we're really obligated to maximize the impact of every funding dollar that we get. So for us, it's about to maximize that impact. We treat women. We can get the greatest impact there for the reasons I've explained.
0: Okay, that's interesting. And obviously, from what you've shared so far, it seems like you guys have been able to make a great impact.
1: We think so. You know, for depression, we're finding on average about eighty, eight zero, eighty percent of the women we treat are no longer depressed. We call that depression free. That's a huge number. You know, in clinical trials or implementations, say, in the West, if if you're hitting forty, fifty percent depression free, uh, I always joke you know, you can apply for the the Nobel Prize or something like that but we're making a huge impact. And and the women we treat, not only are 80% of them depression-free at the end of our therapy, which typically is anywhere from eight to 12 weeks, they're depression-free six months later and two years later. That's the longest we've collected that longitudinal data up to two years. So not only are we helping a woman to overcome her current depressive episode, we're helping her helping her to prevent future episodes. So there's very much a long standing impact uh, that we're able to generate. It's super exciting.
0: That's interesting. So you've talked about this therapy process a little bit, but can you walk me through what this actually looks like? Like, what are you doing with these women?
1: Sure. Yeah, uh, it's a great uh, therapy. So we use what's called group interpersonal psychotherapy, uh, IPT, or IPTG, uh, originated by Dr. Myrna Weissman at the New York uh, Psychiatric State Psychiatric Institute. She's a great friend and my mental health mentor. Um, in IPT, the whole philosophy is that you can treat depression uh, about with regards to modifying someone's interpersonal relations. So how do I react and, and interact with you? There's other kind of therapies that are more uh, cognitively based, more internally focused in terms of what's going on in your head, if you will. So for IPT, though, it's all external. How am I interacting with my, my spouse or my children or my neighbor? Uh, in IPT, the philosophy is that there, that every, all depression leads down to some common triggers of depression, some of those triggers include disagreement, loneliness, grief, but ultimately if someone is depressed and you kind of ask the the question why enough times, you'll come down to a common trigger. And so our groups come together, you know, in before the pandemic, our groups were in person, about 12 people. Now we do teletherapy on the phone. Those groups are now about five people. But regardless, the group is all about Having a facilitator, which can be a strong minds employee or a volunteer, we, we find the same level of impact through our own staff or volunteers, um, but it's really about bringing depressed individuals together, helping them to understand what depression is, what it's not, uh, and really helping them to understand what are the triggers, what's causing their depression, and then helping them to come up with strategies to deal with that. So if I'm a depressed mom in a group. And my trigger is disagreement because I continue to argue and struggle with my spouse, perhaps over the limited uh, income in our home. Um, you know, because of depression, I'm not able to typically, you know, resolve that uh, that conflict very well. But in the group. I can leverage the other group members who are suffering the same issues and come up with strategies on how should I be interacting with my husband differently? How should I perhaps spend this money differently as well to overcome that disagreement? And once you overcome that disagreement or reduce it, you're really reducing the trigger of depression, which then means that the depression will alleviate or at least reduce. Now, I'm giving you a very condensed version. There's a lot more involved there, but I think the the key points here is the strong minds facilitator or volunteer is really just helping to connect the individuals and to focus them the the solutions to depression are coming from the depressed women themselves and we're giving them the lifelong skills so after this group if they get depressed again in six months they'll remember the skills that we've helped um, them to understand about you know think about depression what are the triggers that depression has caused by something it just doesn't come out of the blue Uh, and ultimately it's The depressed women are helping themselves we're giving them the skills uh, for long time long term mental health
0: Mm -hmm. that's so interesting and i really appreciate how for you guys this isn't just some random medical study that you're doing with these women that it's very personal and that you're giving them lifelong skills because i think something that we see in the united states a lot is just either putting people in therapy for short term or maybe giving them medication and Unfortunately, we can see that this isn't working as well as what you're doing here with these IPTs. So could you share with me a little more about the impact that this treatment has had on the woman?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I would just note uh, to start, we we don't use medication. It is just psychotherapy. Uh, Roughly 99% of the women we treat will be able to if not become depression-free, certainly reduce their symptoms and have a better life and less suffering. Uh, Maybe 1% may not respond and we can get them the medication, but for the most part, we don't need to use medication. It is really just a group talk therapy that's solving this. You know, so about after our our therapy, about 80% of the women will become depression free. That remaining 20%, though, are still greatly helped. We are reducing the depressive symptoms of everyone in the group. So maybe they're not what we call depression free. Um, They are uh, living a better, more uh, mentally healthy life, you know, for depression, just for the listeners. We have a very uh, specific diagnostic tool that measures depression on a scale of 0 to 27. So it's very quantitatively focused. It's not just about you know looking at someone, how do you figure out someone's depressed, where it's all uh, data focused, and that helps us to know when someone is depression-free. And depression-free simply means 0 to 4 on the, on the, the depressive scale, for example. But so about 80% are depression-free. You know, we know that when women are no longer depressed through the Strong Minds therapy, they go back to work, uh, their incomes increase, their productivity increase, nutrition improves in the household, their children's school attendance improves as well. So again, as I mentioned earlier, the entire family begins to thrive. And another exciting point here is when we meet depressed women, they're very withdrawn, understandably, you know the, the typical symptoms of depression, fatigue, and ability to focus and many more. Uh, We see a a massive change in their comportment, their behavior uh, after our 8 to 12 weeks of therapy. So they're working more uh, to to lead their family, they're engaging more with the community. And many of the women come back to us and really want to volunteer to learn our therapy and to run groups themselves because they just become so passionate about wanting to help other sufferers suffering the way that they once suffered. So we really see not just the improvement in depression levels, the improvement in their households, but just how they're engaging in the local community. They're trying to help more people. And that's an important thing because, you know, for strong minds with 66 million people, we can't reach them all. But the more uh, foot soldiers we create, if you will, in this battle through people we've treated who can go out and help their peers who are depressed, uh, the better and the sooner that we can end the the depression epidemic in Africa.
0: Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And that definitely addresses what you were saying before about how, women are the most affected group. However, if you can give them treatment and the therapy that they need, that it goes on to affect the whole communities, the
1: whole families. It does. We see such a change in the communities where we in, you know, in some communities we've been working there for years. Others were quite new. You know, in those communities, we have very close relationships with uh, the community leaders. There's not a good analogy here in the U.S. of what that is. It's almost like a mayor of a few city blocks or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, Those are the people that help us, well, give us permission and support us in working in their communities. You know, when we're there for years, they learn and understand depression better. The entire neighborhoods, because of our community awareness campaigns, begin to understand what depression is and what it's not. Uh, And we've had great success stories of some communities that we've been able to exit after a few years because the depression prevalence rate, which typically in Africa is anywhere up to 25%, about one in four women may be depressed. In these communities where we're successful and have been for years, we're able to reduce that that prevalence rate uh, significantly down from 25%. And in some cases we've left the communities because there's just not enough people for us to do our work with anymore. We leave behind volunteers, Communities are sensitized and educated about depression and they're able to manage new cases uh, themselves. And we can go on to a new community that perhaps is untouched and make a greater impact there. So
0: Mm -hmm. yeah, and you mentioned being sensitive and educated to mental health. Would Mm -hmm. you say that there are many stigmas surrounding mental health in Africa that challenge your goals? And if so, how do you combat these?
1: Yeah, the question of stigma is interesting. There's definitely a stigma uh, towards depressed individuals. If you're depressed in Africa and I'm a, a, your, your, your neighbor who's not depressed, I don't understand that you have depression, that the symptoms you have, that you're tired, fatigue, you're not able to help in the community, you're not able to look after my kids when I have to run to work when I ask you, which is a very common kind of, you know, um, it takes a village approach or, or what happens in Africa so when you're not able to help me i don't understand it's depression causing this i'm just thinking oh jackie's just too good to help me she doesn't want to be a good neighbor and over time disagreements involve increase because i'll criticize you uh in in uganda the the english uh, for criticizing is called backbiting um and it will lead to even more depression Um, So for us, uh, there is that stigma, but it's really about the lack of awareness. I don't want to use the word ignorance, but the lack of understanding of what depression is and what it's not. So a lot of our work is about being in the communities, explaining to everyone in the community what depression is, uh, the symptoms, the triggers, the fact that it can be treated, um, and the fact that, you know, once we're able to reduce that in the communities, whole communities can begin to, to flourish. Um, you know, for us, in terms of the sensitization, we're also, as we're talking to community, able to find individuals who are depressed. Some people will come back to us after meetings and say, you know, those symptoms you talked about in the meeting, I think maybe my wife or my sister is suffering this. And then we'll go and meet that individual, screen them, talk to them, uh, and see if they're depressed. And I am if they are uh, ideally invite them into a group. So it's a slow process working in the communities through leaders, through the individuals themselves to create awareness and to find the individuals but with a huge long-term impact.
0: Mm -hmm. So would you say that the stigma around mental health has changed since you began in 2013 or is it something that you're still working toward?
1: We're still working. You know, in some communities, the stigma has reduced, uh, but there's a long ways uh, that we still need to go. When you think of uh, 66 million people on the denominator and 100,000 treated on the numerator, uh, I, I don't have the courage to calculate that very small percentage. But there's still a mm-hmm. long ways for us to go. But the important thing is we're learning how to do this. You know, what are effective ways to communicate? You know, now in the pandemic. We don't do in-person groups. It's all remote now via uh, teletherapy, not smartphones, but dumb phones. It's just simple analog phone calls. We're learning new ways of, well, how do we reach the communities now? Because we can't go there face to face. We're learning what is what are the most effective ways of communication in media. Uh, in some locations, it's radio. In some locations, it's very small community radio that just reaches a few hundred thousand. Others, it reaches millions. Um, social media. Uh, just literally just putting up posters and, and information in, in slum settings, how do we get that word out? Um, so we're learning better how to do that and, and each day we help to reduce stigma. And as we kind of figure out what are, the silver, what are the silver bullets to reduce stigma, you know, we can then kind of go to scale with that and share that with other partners in terms of this is our experience, how you can reduce stigma based on is it 8, 10 or 12 years of experience, for example.
0: Yeah. So could you share with me a little bit more about that? How have your working goals changed since you founded Strong Minds in 2013? Because obviously the pandemic has affected a lot of things. You mentioned going to teletherapy instead of doing in-person groups. But what else has shifted since then?
1: So much has changed. It's just been a great journey. You know, when we started in 13 and 14, our whole focus was we're solving depression uh, and that's what we're all about. Uh, On one end, we've learned that so many of our funders, and we're funded by a large number of small, medium-sized foundations, uh, at least uh, early on. Now it's diversified. We have a lot of uh, individuals as well now. Um, But many of those foundations aren't really focused on solving depression or improving mental health. What they wanna do is reduce poverty. And mm-hmm. as you've probably heard, right when a woman is depression free, her income increases productivity. So we really help to reduce poverty. So the foundations support us and our depression treatment as a means to an end, the end being reducing poverty. So for us, it's been interesting in the early days, that uh, you know, our sales proposition was going to be ending depression. Now it's about you know really we help you uh, be a foundation to achieve your goals of reducing poverty. So how we talk about it. Um, And it helps us now uh, to really explain the connection between depression and economic livelihoods and and how when someone is depression free, uh, everything gets better and can impact so many different kind of well-being indicators that foundations will support. So it's helped to open our eyes more broadly. And just how we implement has changed so much. In the early days, we did in-person therapy, uh, lasted 16 weeks. Now we're down to eight weeks. We've cut it in half. Uh, our cost per patient, what does it cost us to treat a patient who's depressed in Africa from the moment we meet her to the moment she leaves a group? In the early days, it was about four, four $450 per patient, which on one hand is cheap, on the other hand expensive in Africa. Uh, we've gotten that down now to just over $100, um, which is still, for us, we think a, a great bargain, if you will, to help someone to become depression-free for $100. I always joke in the US, uh, you know, $100 will buy you about 15 minutes of psychotherapy, uh, and, if it <laughs> buy, and if it buys you any more than that, then you've got a bad psychotherapist. <laughs> but, um, but still, $100 is too expensive. Uh, you know, Mental health budgets, uh, Ministry of Health budgets in Africa are so limited, they can't afford $100 per person, so we continue to to drive and to search for ways to reduce that cost per patient well below 100, uh, targeting at least 50 or 25. Um, how we deliver it initially, we were delivering just through Strong Minds employees. Now we're using lots of volunteers, uh, you know, in 2019, just before the pandemic, our cadre of volunteers, which numbered about three, 400, treated about 6,000 patients. Uh, so it's a significant impact for us. Uh, so it's not just our staff. Uh, and then with the pandemic, right, we just couldn't meet in face in person anymore. So we put everything um, into a virtual space and really learned, um, and tested how can we deliver psychotherapy uh, not in person but on the phone you know smartphones are not very uh available in africa so how can we do it just on a simple analog phone and we've made it work you know the groups are smaller now they are five people uh we've gotten the curriculum or the implementation down to eight weeks and The nice thing is on teletherapy uh, we're seeing that same level of depression-free success rate about 80 percent and we're seeing that our volunteers are, st- are able to deliver um, therapy on the phone just like our staff um, and so many silver linings in teletherapy. In the old days you know, we'd have to trek out to a location and conduct a group and drive there and spend money and time but now we just pick up the phone and can call groups. Uh, so it's really expanded our geographical reach. We're now covering literally almost every corner of Uganda, every corner of Zambia that in the old in-person days would have taken us years to to literally uh, or physically get there. Um, We've also just recently started treating groups uh, of depression sufferers in Malawi, calling simply from Zambia across the border. It's the same culture, it's the same language. It's kind of like uh, you know, like Connecticut to New York. There's really no difference. Somebody just drew a line there. Um, so it's really teletherapy is allowing us to reach more people um, with the same level of impact. So it's really exciting, and because of that, you know, going forward. If, you know, the pandemic magically disappeared tomorrow, uh, we would still be now focused on teletherapy. It is the way that we'll be delivering our our implementation uh, going forward.
0: Okay, that's interesting. And it's good to hear that you guys have adapted to the pandemic, because I know that with a lot of other organizations and the nonprofits, they've seen a huge hit in their numbers just because of the nature of social distancing and how the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad to hear that your numbers have remained pretty consistent just in how in how far the treatment is able to affect these women, especially with the teletherapy
1: yeah we're so fortunate you know another scenario there could have been we did we went to teletherapy and it didn't work the depression mm-hmm. figure rate was you know two percent and we're like and then it would have been okay what do we do going forward so we're incredibly fortunate uh, you know we're blessed that strong Minds with a, an amazing team and just great stakeholders and mental health experts who help us to come up with these new approaches you know this is the first time any kind of a uh, group teletherapy for depression has ever been tried or implemented in africa we're always at the forefront and we're just really fortunate and just so glad that our, our new approach is working and it allows us to continue uh, to 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 work, to scale, to end the depression epidemic in Africa. So we're just so glad.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And you mentioned that you guys started work primarily or only in Uganda and you've expanded since then to Zambia and now Malawi. Mm-hmm. So, what are your goals for the future of Strong Minds, and what are your what steps are you taking to get
1: there? No, thanks for asking. The goals are grow those numbers and the impact. We know we can't do it ourselves. We're never going to be this giant, uh, you know, uh, international NGO like Save the Children or or Care. There's just not funding for it. So for us, how do we reach millions of depression sufferers? How do we reach all 66 million? We can't do it ourselves. Um, so we have a couple ways to what we call scale. It's really first working through big international NGOs like. Uh, you know, save the children or care, uh, getting them to understand why treating depression makes sense for in their model, you know, with, if they're trying to do a, a livelihood implementation, but in their population, they're suffering depression, they can't really change the behavior of those individuals. So ultimately, our program helps make their program better and more efficient. So as we work with the big NGOs, they, they take our model um, and really begin to implement it and reach their hundreds of thousands of millions of people that they're already reaching. And then in the long term the real solution is to work more closely and to integrate our model into ministries of health into existing hospitals and clinics wherever we work Uh, we have some great uh, pilots uh, to that end a good collaboration with ministries of health now in both uganda and zambia just at the pilot stage you know nothing moves that quickly in africa you know you have to kind of pilot it and take time and find the right stakeholders and, and the funding but the long-term focus again is is get more numbers, more patients, more impact, change more lives and make a stronger difference. And I'm incredibly optimistic. After eight years, we've got a great model. We've got great stakeholders. We have the most tremendous team. Uh, even with the pandemic this year, we're going to treat over 30,000 individuals and get us well over 100,000. Uh, and it's just super exciting. And I'm so bullish on the future for Strong Minds.
0: That is amazing to hear. It sounds like you guys have great goals. And more importantly, it sounds like you're taking very concrete steps to reach them.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: So my last question for you before we wrap up, um, this is a bit more of a personal question, but how have your previous professional experiences shaped the work that you do now? Can you share with us a little more about your journey?
1: Yeah, totally. It, it is a journey, right? My in, uh, in my 20s, for about eight, nine years, I was a Foreign Service Officer at the US Department of State. I had diplomatic postings in, in the Netherlands, Kenya, Somalia, uh, then left the service, uh, got an MBA, and then naturally moved into high technology and started making microprocessors at Intel in Oregon, and Philippines, and China. and I did that for about five years. Then after that, uh, you know, the call to Africa from having been in Kenya and Somalia, I moved into the nonprofit sector, started doing public health, uh, became a, a country director for uh, a large NGO, um, led the uh, HIV sexual reproductive health programs in the Congo in the middle of the war for five years, and then did big HIV programs in, in India for a number of years. So, you know, I've gone from diplomacy to high technology to public health.
0: Yeah, not much.
1: Ow. it's not quite traditional, is it? No, <laughs> but the, the journey is so important, right? You know, my time in Africa helps me to get things done in Africa to understand the context and the culture. Uh, my time at Intel with my MBA uh, really drives me to uh, have a, that strong business edge and, and to get things done and, and results. Um, so really bringing it all together, I, I like to think just it gives me a huge toolbox uh, to be an access, a successful well, leader of uh, Strong Minds and to make a difference. So it's been a super fun journey. Again, not traditional, but I, I want to give it up for the world.
0: Mm-hmm. That's amazing to hear. So everyone here on The Global Current, this is Sean Mayberry, the founder and CEO of Strong Minds. Um, I wanted to thank you so much for joining us today. And please tell us where people can go to learn more about Strong Minds or where they can support you if they should be so inclined.
1: No, thank you. Thanks for having me today, Jackie. Uh, No, anyone with interest, uh, strongminds.org, our website. It's a great website. Uh, You can learn a lot more about our work. Uh, We're located with a small office here in Maplewood, uh, in addition to our teams in Uganda and Zambia. So right next to... South Orange. uh, So stop by if you're a a Seton Hall uh, stakeholder or anywhere in the area. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much. This is Jacqueline Ballard for The Global Current. Once again, to all of our current listeners, thank you and have a good day.